And like I said before, Daxton played on two separate teams. He played on the Pirates and the Dodgers. Different teams, different coaching staff, different players around him, different rules even. There was one thing that didn't change, and that was the name that he had written on the back of his jersey that said Mink. I gave him that name. I put my name on him. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Well, good morning, Soli. Would you uh, remain standing? I'm going to read our passage for this morning, and it's not the Gospel of Luke, but the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 11, and we're going to read the last five verses. I'm going to turn there real quick. Starting in verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day, Lord, that you've gathered your people together once again. Lord, may the words that we hear from your word, may you seal them upon our hearts. Lord, and today may we see Christ before us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, solely today, four years together, four years of fellowship, four years of God's goodness shining down on us, four years of feasting together, four years of going through the ups and downs of life together and individually, four years full of countless changes, I think dozens of meeting locations and one global pandemic. It's been a wild, an amazing four years. And yet, by the grace of God, we gather together again today. The Lord gathers his church. If you've kind of already heard Pastor David say, when uh, Nate, John, David, and I started meeting years and years ago, uh, there was always a dream of doing ministry together, but there was never um, a goal of planting a church. This wasn't some finish line that we had. But we just began ministering to each other and being brothers. And I think, unbeknownst to us, while that was happening, the Lord was uh, building a picture and putting this picture together that later I think we would come to find would be Soli and would be this church. And it was a picture of what Soli would be and it was what we wouldn't be, what we would strive to do and what we wouldn't strive to do. What we, what we would keep in front of us and what we would strive to set aside or put behind us. And over time, that picture became more and more clear. And so today, 
on our four-year anniversary, what I'd like to do is try to pull out that picture and have us all revisit it and take a look at it. Thank you, Caesar. Take a look at it. For those of you who've been here since the beginning, as this study was for me, it's just, it'll be a good reminder. And for those of you who are new, this might be really informative for you. I'm sure, well, if you guys go on the website, right on the front of the website is our mission statement. It says, at Soli Church, the gospel rest of our triune God is the beginning and end of all worship, preaching, discipleship, and life together. And I hope you've seen that. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, we have a pretty beautiful vision statement, if I do say so. And I think it's appropriate that uh, I read it to us this morning. It says our times are the days of anxiety, restlessness, depression, and distraction. Daily life is a performance, soul-crushing grind that plays the thief in our identity and joy. God's substitutes are available everywhere and yet cannot answer the eternity in our hearts. The Church of Jesus Christ is God's messy answer to all of this. The body of Christ is where we are re-narrated each week in the gospel through the word, water, bread, wine, and life together. At Soli, at Soli Deo Gloria Church, we exalt in the simple truth. The rest we all crave is found only in the finished work of Christ. Christ alone is the beginning, middle, and end of all things. We glory in the fact that Christ has accomplished full and final salvation for his people. It is in Christ alone, received by grace given faith alone, that we find peace for the anxious, hope for the depressed, salvation for the sinner, and a still point for the distracted. To that end, Soli Deo Gloria Church shares together in simple church life, weekly gospel-centered, scripture-saturated, triune God-exalting worship. We worship together as families, as to be discipled together across the generations. We celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly so that our union and communion with Christ and one another is renewed and deepened. We fill our church calendar with Sabbath rhythms rather than endless programs. We desire to create space for rest, family life, hospitality, evangelism, and play. We pray earnestly, regularly, individually, and corporately as scripture invites. Pretty beautiful and pretty fitting four years later. If not, maybe more, <laughs> more fitting, right? Uh, if you, listening to that and listening to our, our mission statement, our vision statement, there's the idea of rest is saturated in there. And I would say that whole first year of us meeting, besides if, if you take out of the running the word Jesus or the word God, I think rest might have been the word that we said the most from up here on a Sunday morning. And so today, rest is going to be central to this, this passage. And I would say this passage hinges on this word rest. Like, right? When you get to the end of chapter 11, rest is like what you're looking for. And it's a familiar passage to us, but this concept of rest, I think we would all agree, is it's elusive. Seems like it's hard to really like grasp. And so for my own organization to get through this, uh, I broke this passage up into three parts. So you have a three-part sermon, and guess what? They're all P's. So I'm doing that trick. It's posture, 
person and promise. So first, verse 25 through 26, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So real quick context here. Uh, John is in jail and he sends messengers to ask Jesus if Jesus is really who they think he is. If, is Jesus the Messiah? And so Jesus basically gives the answer of like, go tell John of all these works that I'm doing, that he's healing people, he's restoring people. And then he's, to the group that he's talking to, he gives them this picture to describe them of two groups of children. And one group of children is trying to get the other group of children to engage. And so it says that they played a song of mourning and the other children didn't mourn. And so then they played like a wedding song and the other children didn't celebrate. And that mourning music should point us to the message John was bringing, which was one of judgment and repentance. And the wedding music points us to the message that Jesus is bringing and it's one to restoration and healing and making all things new. And what he's saying is in, in all of this, there's no response. You have not responded to this, to this music. You're, you're the kids that aren't dancing. And so Jesus thanks the Father here for revealing these things to who? To not the wise, not those with understanding, but reveals it to little children. And you know, for the, the self-made man, the self-made woman, this is a really scary passage because uh, it, it humbles us. It forces us to take a sober look at ourselves. As David already said this morning, as dust, to remember our frame. And I think I've said this almost nearly every time I preach, but it, it's so important for us to get out of the thinking as, as Christians that our belief and our Christian life can be reduced to a quantifiable mental ascension. And that, you know, though we do learn, though we do grow in our knowledge and understanding, we got to recognize that with all our wisdom, with all our understanding, with all our smarts, with all our PhDs, with all our MDivs, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're lacking. We're nothing. This is not just a mental ascension. Learn this, learn this, learn this, and that's it. We are all reliant in this very moment on the Holy Spirit. So what that tells us is that Guys, you, me, adults, grandparents, young kids, teenagers, all of you, those with special needs, those with dementia, those with cognitive struggles are all in the same boat. We are all completely reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit to move. Not simply elevating our minds. And this isn't a dig, I don't want this to come off as a dig on learning and on studying and on growing. But what Jesus is telling us here is, is the posture that we take. That through all of our learning and through everything that's revealed to us and as we grow in our knowledge and in our, in our understanding, here's the posture that we take. You know, from the moment my kids get up and really I'm speaking for my wife because she does all this, but from the moment my kids get up Sunday morning to the moment they walk through the store, everything is done for them. 
They rely on her to wake them up. They rely on her to make food for them, to feed them, to clothe them, to comb their hair, to brush their hair, to walk them to the car, to buckle them in the car, to drive them here, to unbuckle them, to walk them in here, to give them money so that they can give during service, to guide them in participating and engaging through the message, and to collect their shoes and socks as they get scattered across the entire gym. They are completely reliant. And you know what? That's the exact picture that you and I need. It's the exact thing that I need to remind me of how I come. You know, our self-reliance deceives us. We need to be clothed. We need to be fed. And we need to be guided. And we need to be reminded. And sometimes we listen and sometimes we wiggle and we're distracted of the work week that lays before us, of hardships that are in our lives, of a restless mind, of an anxious mind. And so we're in need of the Spirit to move in us when our mental ascension fails us. Later in Matthew chapter 19 and also in Luke 18, which I'm going to read that one, Jesus has more to say about the posture of children and what we can learn from it. Uh, in Luke 18, 15, if you want to turn there, it says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that, might touch, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. One of the distinctives here we have at Soli is that we worship together across the generations that you just heard me read. And I know, I know, I know that that comes at a cost. I know it. Your pastors know it. We know it as a family. Parents, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And I know there's probably many, many Sunday mornings where you go home and you think, I don't think I heard one word of that message. I don't think I had time to engage with that sermon at all. And I'm just telling you right now, if you're struggling with it, I'm telling you guys, it's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. And we're in it together too. If you need a hand, if you need help, I will, whatever I'm doing, I will take your kid for you, but guys, it is so worth it. But also who I want to talk to is our other members here is kids. Guys, you. I know it's hard on you guys too. It's difficult. I know a lot of you have experiences where you were probably only with people your age. So it was really easy. And you were probably playing games, which hey, games are fun. We're going to play games today. And you're probably getting to do crafts. And so I know the experiences that you guys probably come from. And I know this is hard. But I'm just telling you, it's really worth it. I've already seen the fruit in your guys' lives. I really have. You guys don't get to see this. But every Sunday morning, uh, me and a few of the deacons get here and set this stuff up. 
And it just really blessed me this morning knowing that this was in my message and I was going to touch on like kids being in the service this morning. And we had, the deacons were so busy doing the meal stuff that we had their kids who were here set up your chairs for you. Like just how cool is that? And even that ministers to me, man. Like you guys are part of this family. And so I want to, I want to affirm that in all of you teenagers, Young ones, sunny, you little, little ones, listen, you're not stepbrothers and you're not stepsisters. You're not spectators uh, leaning against the wall in an adult service. You are active participants, active members in our worship service. You guys hear me? You guys are. You guys matter. Nolan, bud. You matter, dude. And I know they're my kids, but I, I, would, I would venture, if you sit maybe on this side, I'd venture that you have the same feeling. These kids can do, kids, you can do just as much ministry as any pastor, deacon, or person here. My heart soars when I hear my kids belting so loud that I hear them over my speaker up here. I love it. Kids, you matter, and you minister to the adults around us. And I think sometimes, or maybe a lot of times, as adults, we think it's kids who need an object lesson for them to grasp what the Bible tells us. And I think the Lord goes, actually, guys, you need an object lesson. And here they are right here. Here they are. Look at these little ones. The kingdom belongs to them. This is how you come to me. This is how needy you are. Remember your frame. Remember your frame. So now we go to the person. We know a promise is coming, right? This promise of rest we're working our way towards. But a promise is only as valuable as the one who's able to keep it, right? Probably once a week, my kids, one of my kids will come up to me and out of the blue and just say, what would you like to order? And so I'll, I jump in. I'm not gonna turn that down, so I'll ask for a burger, I'll ask for pizza, I'll ask for ice cream, I'll ask for, I've asked for all kinds of things. And they always say, coming right up. They have never delivered once on that promise. Not once. I get an empty cup, a plate full of like stacked magnet blocks, which is a various sandwich or burger, crumpled up paper, and a bowl full of Legos. Like, never once has that burger shown up, right? They can't deliver on that promise. I'm going to get hecklers during this message for sure. <laughs> a promise is great, but a promise by one who's able to keep it is better. Here in uh, verse 27, Jesus reveals why he alone is qualified to make this promise that he's going to make. And he says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus here reveals his unique and intimate relationship 
with God the Father. To love Jesus is to love the Father. To hate Jesus is to hate the Father. To discredit Jesus is to discredit the Father. To be indifferent to Jesus is being indifferent to the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. And to be forgiven by Jesus is to be forgiven by the Father. The very one who we at birth have been at war with, the very one that we must at all costs make amends with, find peace with, we find that God in the face of Jesus. So if there's anyone who can follow through with that promise of rest, it's Jesus. Because if Jesus has given us peace, if Jesus has given us rest, then God has given us peace and God has given us rest. It's to this end that during our service, I mean, David, you like set me up so good. Um, but it's to this end that we place Jesus before you at every turn on Sunday mornings. Our first words are, our help is in the name of the Lord, which points our eyes to Christ, that he is our help. When the pastor calls you and tells you to stand and hold your head up high and declares you clean, you see Jesus as the pastor stands in for him and declares over you what Jesus says over you. When we read the word, we see Jesus, the living word. When we hear the word preached, we hear Jesus preached. When we take the bread, we see Jesus' body. When we hold the cup, we see Jesus' blood. When we gather at the table, we see Jesus and we remember him as his body is remembered. And when we gather and eat a meal, like we'll do all these things today, we are again reminded of Jesus and the feast we will have with him when he makes all things new. As Pastor David said a few weeks ago, if we gather and we don't see Jesus, it will not have mattered if we gathered. Though idols all around me keep my eyes fixed on my Lord, for he alone can bear my burden. He alone is my reward. Jesus is the only one qualified to make this promise of rest to us because he is the only one who can deliver on it. And so every Sunday morning, our hope and our goal, as Pastor David said, is that we show Christ to you. That we show Christ to you. And that anything that would distract, we take away. But we show Christ to you because it's in him that you will find rest. And so now here we get to the promise, this promise of rest. Verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is very clear here and where we find rest. He says, in him. He says, come to me. And this easy yoke and light burden Jesus offered is in, is in direct contrast to the burden of, of works-based, performance-based religion that the religious elite were dumping on believers. If you go to Matthew 23, 4, I'll read it for you real quick. It says, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, they tied up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and laid them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. 
In place of these burdens, instead of Jesus saying, here, take this on, put this on your back, carry this, and if you carry this long enough, and you, if you carry enough, you'll find rest. He takes these off. He takes off our anxiety and our worry and our striving and our stress, and he offers us to rest in him. Uh, the last, this last season of our life uh, has just been full of baseball. So it's both my boys' first year playing baseball, and so obviously I'm going to have some tie into baseball in the message because it's like the amount of baseball we've gone to and watched is absurd. And the way things shook out is Daxton ended up playing on two teams at the same time, so that just made it even like crazier. But I've come to find people watching at all these games, I've come to find that like watching parents at these baseball games is a really like clear picture of humanity, I think. You have, uh, <laughs> yesterday's cracking me up. Um, you have the one guy that you see, like he's at every game, the one guy that you see, even when he just gets out of his car, you can tell he just gets out of the car and he's like, he already has high blood pressure. Like, this guy's got to be careful today. But he's like, veins popping out of his head, veins popping out of his neck, losing it and doesn't care that everybody sees him losing it. He's just like, I'm a maniac. You all know I'm a maniac, so I'm going to be a maniac. And just totally losing it. But he's like the one guy. Everybody else is doing this game where I'm normal. That, like, everybody's looking at that guy being like, that guy's totally crazy. That guy's nuts. I'm a, just a normal, well-balanced parent here taking my kids to a game until... Umpire makes a call that's close on their kid, and then they black out, and they completely lose their mind for like five <laughs> I'm going to laugh through this. Uh, they lose their mind for like five seconds, like completely go nuts, and then eventually like, like come back down, and like you have like little conversations with people around you. I'm dying right now because I had nobody, and when I wrote this, I had been like marinated on this verse for a couple weeks and then I wrote it on Thursday and then, I'm sorry babe, um, yesterday Breaker had his first all-star game and so I walk over to like film him through the fence so I can like see his swing and everything and like be the dad and get his hit on, his first like all-star hit on my phone. <laughs> I'm right in the middle so I'm between our parents over here and all these parents over here and Breaker, whatever happens, Breaker hits the ball, and it is like, like I was saying, everyone just loses their mind all at once. Just everybody goes crazy. But there's this one voice that came from over here, and I was like, that just rung out above all of them. And it was like guttural and like just a loud voice. And for a second, for literally for a second, I was like, wow. And then I looked over, and I was like, that's my wife. Oh. <laughs> I mean, so amazing. <laughs> She's in it, man. She is in it. So, like, I'm like, re I have like sit next to her and reach over and grab her leg, like, hey, it's okay. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna make it through this. It's all right. Oh, I'm so lost because of that. It's just driving me crazy. Um, but we go from so these these parents, and I'm the same. Uh, we, we're riding these highs and lows. It's the highest of high when your kid gets a hit or fields a ball or makes an out, and it's the lowest of low. They miss a play, they strike out, whatever it is, and you go from one second like, 
yeah, I'm pretty sure my kid's the greatest baseball player that's ever lived, to where the next, like, I, I think he's blind, we should probably take him to the doctor. <laughs> like, extremes, like highs and lows. And then what's the funniest one to me is then at the end of the game, like complete, like literal psychopaths, everybody tries to do this same line, but they say it loud enough so other, the adults hear them, so it's kind of like gain any respect that they still had where they just go up to the kid like, hey, did you have fun? It's all about fun, I'm glad you had fun. It's like all about fun, trying to convince themselves and everybody else like, hey, it's not that serious, guys, we're just having fun, we're just playing a game. But then while this is happening, while this madness is happening, these highs and lows. So with one team on Daxton's, I'm in the stand. And with the other team, I'm actually on the field with them. And that experience is way different. These kids, half the time, at least my boys are four and six, they don't know a game is happening. They're rolling in the dirt. They're playing in grass. They're seeing how far they can stretch their gum. Like, their parents are riding these highs and lows, living and dying with every play. And I'm just out there reminding them, like, guys, you're playing baseball right now. Guys, they're about to hit a ball at you. Guys, like, get up, be ready. They, they're nowhere near this stress. And I, I, like, I'm joking, but honestly, <laughs> I'm serious, and I'm going somewhere with this. I would submit to you the difference between this, this anxiety and this stress and the highs and lows and like the sick feeling of that roller coaster is that the parents are stressed out because they're looking at the unknown. They're looking at what's directly in front of them and that's this play and I don't know if they'll make this play and this game and I don't know if we'll win this game. And so it's highs and lows and everything is dependent on the performance right there in front of them. That it'll be the best day if they make the plays and they have a good game and they win and it'll be the worst day if they don't make the plays and they lose. But then on the other side, the kids, they're not looking at the unknown. I would venture to guess that these kids, just from talking to them during the game, these kids are looking past this game. And you know what they're looking to? They're looking to not the unknown, but the known. I know I'm gonna get a snack after this game. I know I'm gonna go home with my mom and dad. I know I'm gonna get to play with my friends at the park. I know I'm gonna have a dinner. These kids are looking at the things that are secured. And they're not on the highs and lows of what's happening in this moment. To try to bring this home, hopefully you're piecing these together in your mind with me, to try to bring this home. We can't view our security in Christ and our rest in Christ as something that we must earn. Because if we do, then life and death really does hang in the balance. And we will have these highs and lows of life. When we think we're doing really well, we cheer for ourselves. And when we fail, our whole world crumbles. And if that's, our, if that's how we live, then this pattern, pattern of stress and anxiety and worry will be the pattern of our life. And if that is also how we live, then I'm telling you, we'll never get there. We'll never be good enough. But when we see the security we have in Jesus, we're able to live life and we're able to live it freely. Our confidence doesn't crumble when we fail and our egos don't explode when we win. 
We don't aim to fail, though sometimes I think we do. I believe we do. But we don't aim to fail. But when we do, our assurance in Christ isn't shaken. And like I said before, Daxton played on two separate teams. He played on the Pirates. I have a pirate hat right here. The Pirates and the Dodgers. Different teams, different coaching staff, different players around him, different rules even. There is one thing that didn't change for both those teams, and that was the name that he had written on the back of his jersey that said Mink. Even though he may fail, even though he may win, even though he make good decisions or bad decisions, there's something that doesn't change. Is that, That's the name that I put on him. I gave him that name. I put my name on him. And it doesn't matter how he plays that day, he's coming home with me. He is secure in me. And as a good father, I'm going to teach him and train him along the way. But his place in the family is never dependent on how he played that day or how that season went. His assurance in where he is in the family relies in me, in the name that I put on him. And so through wins and through losses, through good decisions, bad decisions, through smiles and through tears, Daxon comes home with me at the end of the day and he gets to rest. But then like every analogy, mine, mine falls apart at this point. Because there's real consequences to sin, and that's death. It's not just a lost baseball game. And Christ doesn't just sit on the sidelines like me and say, hey, bud, get the next one. Hey, bud, get the next one. Christ has done something far, 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 far more. He had every right to stay and not humble himself. But he does, and he humbles himself and he takes on our life and he steps in for us knowing that we will only fail. And he steps in and he plays the, the perfect game. If you want to keep going with the analogy, he wins everything. He does it all for us, completes it all, takes all our failures upon himself, absolutely crushes us and crushes it and gives us every win. And then he hands it over to us and says, now go play and pray, play freely. The end's already written. Your place in the family's secure. This path that you're on are going to have highs and lows, but man, I've already gone down it. Where you end up is already written. You see, in the end, what we really need isn't affirmation, and it isn't accusation, but it's absolution. And that's what Jesus provides for us. In Genesis 2, we see... Uh, God had finished the work that he had created, and he rested. And then man failed to keep that covenant of, work, of works, and our restlessness began. And throughout history, we've had this pattern of six days of work followed by a day of rest, and that was instituted by God, and it's pointing to the promise of entering into his rest. But then Jesus comes on the scene. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And he begins healing and performing miracles and restoring people a lot of times on the Sabbath. And then he dies on the cross, he's buried in a tomb, and he's raised to life on what is now the first day of the week. 
So Christian, even your calendars are preaching rest in Christ to you. For now, Sunday is not the last day of the week, but Sunday is the first day of the week. Where the first Adam failed to work to find that rest, the last Adam has come and re-narrated our entire lives to where now we don't work to find rest, but from rest we are free to go out and work. Christ calls us into his rest on the first day of the week. He feeds us, he fills us up, and he sends us out, out to work from a place of rest. And so we're able to live freely, not being crippled by the weight of having to earn it on our own, but resting in him. We don't have to live in fear of like this doomed Christ who is looking and waiting for us to fail so he can remove his name from us and take us out of from the family. But we live in freedom with a Christ who's, as he describes himself, gentle and lowly. And we rest in our high priest who Hebrews 10 tells us is no longer standing and offering sacrifices continually, but he's offered a complete and final sacrifice and has sat down. Sunday isn't the last day of the week where we come to pick up our report cards and see how terrible we did, only to be told, hey, you got to do better. You got to do better. You got to do better. Check in next Sunday. You got to do better. But it's the first day of the week where we come and we're filled up and we find out that he's gone before us and we've aced it all. His perfect life imputed to us. Now a perfect life is on our record because of what he's done for us. There's a long quote from Spurgeon, but I think it's beautiful. It says, we gather together on the first rather than the seventh day of the week because redemption is even a greater work than creation and more worthy of commemoration. And because the rest which followed creation is far outdone by the rest which ensues ensues up the completion of redemption. Like the apostles, we meet on the first day of the week and hope that Jesus may stand in our midst and say, peace be unto you. Our Lord has lifted the Sabbath from the old and rusty hinges whereon the law had placed it long before and set it on the new golden hinges which his love has fashioned. He has placed our rest day not at the end of a week of toil, but at the beginning of the rest, which remains for the people of God. Every first day of the week, we should meditate on the rising of our Lord and seek to enter into the fellowship with him in his risen life. Is that awesome? As Christians, we come needing, needing to get rid of stains, the stain of sin, needing a perfect life that we can't live, needing to find peace with God that we can't do on our own, and needing forgiveness. Jesus offers all of this when he offers himself to us. In him we find rest. You know, in closing, I want to return to this picture that I brought up at the, uh, at the beginning of this. If you've ever had a family uh, photo taken, which I'm sure a lot of you have, or any photo taken, really, um, you'll know it like a good photographer will be able to frame your picture. And by that, I mean direct your eyes to the, the main subject. Be able to direct your eyes through photography to what they want you to look at. And so, say you go to a park and you have your family picture taken. They'll position you, though the park may be full, they'll find a section where the park where there's not a million kids playing in the background, right? 
And then they'll adjust their aperture and they'll, they'll change the depth of field so that you and your family are in focus, but the mountains and the grass and the trees and the benches are like subtly out of focus. And then they may even afterwards they get home, go in and edit pictures and maybe there was a balloon in the picture that they didn't see at first and they'll edit that out. Or maybe the colors, they'll mess with the colors just a little bit just to accent whatever your wife is wearing or whatever your kids are wearing. They'll change colors around like that. I think a lot of what our hope was and is as pastors here uh, at Soli Church was doing a lot of that. There was a lot of distractions that we hoped to rid from the picture. There was a lot of things that are good things but needed to be pushed to the background. Needed to be blurred a bit so that the subject would be more, more clear. There was some stuff that just needed to be cut out. There were some things that need to be tweaked just a bit so that they weren't the focus, but that they would point the thing that you wanted to focus on. And so it was our hope then, it's our hope now, that in a very cluttered, chaotic world where you all have lives that I know are just as busy as mine, that on Sunday mornings we could present before you a very uncluttered, simple, clear to see, and in focus picture of Christ. That when you come, that you would see Jesus and the noise and the striving and the anxiety and all that would fade away and with your families, your kids, your loved ones around you, that all of us today would see the very one, the only one, that can bear the weight of our restlessness, that can bear the weight of our struggles, can bear the weight of our sin, that can bear the weight of our anxiety and stress and restlessness. And it is my prayer that for four years, imperfectly, but it's my prayer that for four years we've been able to place Christ before you and to remove distractions, to remove noise and place him before you. And it's my prayer and our prayer that forever as long as the Lord grants us his goodness in this, that we would continue to do that. In closing solely, on behalf of the pastors, thank you all for, for being our brothers and sisters. Um, I am so blessed, my family is so blessed by this, by this church, by all you young ones in here. You bless my kids and you bless me and my wife. By you adults in here, you bless me and you bless my wife, all of you. I thank you for these four years and I pray that the Lord would grant us many, many more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the rest that we find in you, Lord Jesus. And as I return to how I prayed before, Lord, would you seal it upon our hearts? For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.